Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Grace and Peace of God, Love Wins. We are going to continue on today in our discussion, having some different touch points around the subject of heaven. So I want to welcome everyone back. And as we explore and go more in depth and further into this discussion of heaven, no matter our age, this is a subject that we all must come to face with at some point in time within our lives. And you know, the ancients understood heaven, and it could be said that planet Earth was a means to an end, a sojourn, so to speak, until returning back to our permanent residence. Well, today, we don't seem to have the same zeal that had been recorded by our ancestors surrounding heaven. There was even a popular movie entitled Heaven Can Wait. The wrong concept of heaven has been circulating, and the vision may be a fluffy cloud in which we make our new home, but that's just not the truth. Images of of us flitting around from cloud to cloud run the gamut of our imaginations, and the scene is one of tremendous boredom. And this is completely contrary to what the Apostle Paul is holding on to. He tells us in Philippians chapter 1 verse 23, for I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul saw life and death is equally valuable. By continuing to live, he would come to know and love and serve the Lord more fully and be a witness to more people here upon earth. But on the other hand, should he die, he was completely, finally, and perfectly finite knowing he would be in Christ. So our first stand must be an understanding that heaven is real. It's not some imaginary place. Heaven is a new earth. In it will be a great capital city made out of precious stones containing trees and rivers within. Believers in Christ will be resurrected and welcomed both in and out of the pearlized gates. Our relationship will be meaningful with all people, not superficial, and our work will be productive. So this new earth is the third heaven. This is our ultimate home. And if you have a loved one who's passed away, they're not yet in the new earth yet. The new earth is going to come down. It's going to descend out of what is known as the third heaven now. So you're probably wondering where they are then. Well, they're in what is known as the intermediary heaven or the second heaven. And this is a place with no suffering. To be clear, this is not purgatory, which many people wrongly assume. Purgatory is not a biblical concept. And Jesus paid the complete propitiation or atonement for our sin, so we're not able to add anything to it. And here's what the Apostle John has to say in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And let me just clarify right here, the first heaven and first uh, new earth or the first earth is what we're living upon right now. 
Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people." God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, for the former things have passed away. For the ancient world, the sea was a place where many prayers were sent up to God in a request to help calm the raging storms. The sea provided sustenance, but also was a violent threatening opponent at times, and furthermore, the sea presented as a fearful, chaotic, disorderly, and evil place. In the book of Revelation, its home to the dead is seen in Revelation chapter 20, verse 13. John records, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. You see, there will be gradations of punishment in hell according to each individual's works. The fire will be hotter for some than for others according to scripture, but the length of punishment will be the same forever. And the sea is also associated with the abyss, the place from which the beast comes from. Now when John tells us that there will be no more sea in the new heaven and the new earth, he's saying that there will be nothing to harm God's people, no fear, no chaos, no death, and no evil. Everything will be created new, and the new Jerusalem is going to be the eternal ruling place of Christ. As the old Jerusalem was his temporary ruling place during the 1,000-year millennium. Now, this holy city originates from heaven and from God. All of its inhabitants are also Christ's bride, the redeemed. And the new Jerusalem is both the bride and where she dwells. God's intent is to dwell with his creation. That's you and that's me. This makes the new earth synonymous with heaven. So God dwells there. This will fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham when he said all nations would be blessed in him, meaning they shall be his people. Heaven will be representative of the reversal or disappearance of death, sorrow, crying, and pain found in Genesis chapter 3 upon when they originated in human history. And all of the old evils will be destroyed in the old creation. People go through trials and tribulations now and experience much sorrow and grief upon our earth. But God's going to personally wipe these tears away. Now, they won't be tears of shame nor of guilt, but rather they'll be tears of pain, death, and persecution, and any other hardship that people have faced upon the earth we're living on now. In this new heaven, there's no more wailing or mourning, no paid professional mourners like they had in the ancient days following the deceased around. And one of God's names is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So I read an interesting commentary about our earth not being our home. We're only passing through to get to our final 
destination or our, our final eternal home. And arguably, this earth was our home prior to the fall of creation in the Garden of Eden. And it will return to being our home once evil has been eradicated and the new earth has been established. We've already said our loved ones who have passed are in the second or the intermediary heaven now. They're with Christ. However, we all will receive our resurrection bodies together and be relocated to the new earth as a colony together. And we're going to talk about that more tomorrow. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 17 through 19 offers up a stark contrast to saving salvation by saying, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, which means died, in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And Paul was saying, if we've all been fooled and we're wrong, the Bible's wrong, it's just a big hoax, then Jesus is in a grave buried somewhere in the Middle East. That would mean Christians are still in their sins and the burden of our sin no longer rests on Christ, but upon us. Consequently, the day will come where we would need to stand before a righteous God and give an account for every sin that we've ever done, and then we would be guilty of them all. If the resurrection is a lie, then Christ's promise for the future is one giant mockery. If Christ is not raised, says Paul, then the believing who have died have perished and all are eternally ruined. You see, according to Paul, the resurrection is not merely a doctrine for the future, but it affects how Christians live presently. If the message of Christ is for this life only, no life has purpose. I don't know about you, but for me, these are convincing words from a man who endured so much for the sake of the gospel and sacrificed everything. But the Bible teaches differently. We're told of a new earth, one in which the curse will be gone. The throne of God, the throne of God and the Lamb of God will reside with us in this city. Take a listen to what we learn in Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Christ will be the undisputed champion. False leaders will be deplatformed. God's people will reign with God forever upon the new earth. Once the last enemy is destroyed, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. Jesus will turn over to the Father, the kingdom he has won. What we learn is that heaven is where God is, and God will dwell among his creation. According to scripture, as God's people, we will reign over a resurrected universe, centered on a resurrected earth with resurrected Jerusalem as its capital city. The term New Jerusalem is just one of several names given to the future city of God. The longing for a future glorious city of God is traceable back to the patriarchs like that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 teaches, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham is called a friend of God in scripture, and God promised Abraham and his descendants a land he would never own himself. Abraham's home was not really in the land, however, it was in a heavenly city built by God. Likewise, the Christian citizenship is not here on earth, but in heaven with God. So is heaven a term we use for a new earth? Well, here's what we're told. When John sees a new Jerusalem in his vision, he realizes as it descended from heaven, as well as a new earth, this vision represents believers' final destiny, which is not up in heaven, but down here on earth. Only this new earth will no longer be plagued by the powers of evil, sin, death, and Satan. We already touched on the sea, which represents the old earth, evil, violence, and unrest. This evil will not exist in God's new creation. The new city or new Jerusalem would be built and made by God. You'll also hear the city called the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the bride of the lamb, or even the crown of the new creation. He even has been mischaracterized throughout the centuries excuse me, heaven, has been mischaracterized throughout the centuries. It indeed is a tangible place. According to scripture, it is a city called the New Jerusalem on a new earth. We're given all of the characteristics in chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. We'll eat, drink, work, worship, learn, and experience many of the things that we do now. And it is suggestive that nations will be resurrected and restored. The debt of sin will have been paid for. Satan will have been banished to the lake of fire forever. The tragic effects of sin will be banished from this new world. We're told for the former things have passed away. This does also include people who during their earthly life preferred sin over righteousness. And the beauty of heaven is described as best as John could describe it. But the reality is it's nearly indescribable. He does the best he can with the language that he had. And some of our traditional images of heaven do come from John's descriptors of streets of gold and pearly gates. And we do find also the number 12 is a reoccurring theme. It's used in reference to gates, foundations, angels, tribes, apostles, and the number 12 is also associated with God's people. We know that this new city measures 1,400 miles on each side. It's laid out as a square. And I've read that the New Jerusalem is nearly four times the size of the largest American state, which is the state of Alaska. And there will be plenty of room for God's redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation throughout all of history. The glory of God alone is what will be worshipped. No tabernacle will be present. You see, we will be communing with the one who is the living, breathing tabernacle. The Lamb of God is Jesus, who is the light that illuminates the entire city. There will be nations upon this new earth, but the people will be free to go in and out of the gates of the city at any time as they are always open. 
Heaven can have open gates because there's no fear of attack. Because of this, the walls surrounding the city are only 250 feet high. No Trojan horse needed here. The chief characteristic of the city is its holiness. The 12 gates are a part of the wall, and the wall's purpose is only to outline the city and hold the gates in place. According to John, the wall glitters like that of a diamond bracelet. The city exemplifies life. There'll be a river flowing from the throne of God, watering the lush trees that bear fruit for the city's inhabitants. Heaven has been referred to as a kingdom or as paradise, but we can only imagine its beauty for now and its utter orderliness. One thing is for sure, our Father's house is one of great intimacy and permanency and will be void of chaos, drama, and deception. The most important element or aspect of heaven will be that we, as children of God, will be spending eternity with our Creator and His Son, the Lamb of God. So tune back in tomorrow as we discuss more of heaven's characteristics and we begin looking more deeply into into what the rapture of Christ's church and his people actually means. And friends, if you have not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear to enter into the kingdom of heaven. A person must confess belief in his son, Jesus. The apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin that we could be made right with God through Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God, and our sin was then placed on to Jesus at his crucifixion. Now, his righteousness is given to us upon our conversion, and it's true we can never repay this extraordinary and extravagant gift of kindness back to Jesus, but what we can do is show him that we are thankful and show him gratitude by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening our relationship daily. So today, friends, if this is you, I'm imploring you to take action now, stepping out boldly in faith and conviction towards this kingdom of God, openly confessing after me by saying, Heavenly Father, I'm coming before you now, repenting of known and unknown sin in my life, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking, acting, and showing up. Jesus, you're welcome to take up permanent residence as my king upon the throne of my heart. I'm confessing your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sin upon that cross at Calvary. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Congratulations. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And consider joining a good Bible-based church as well. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast is available daily with a special Children's Jesus Talk University airing on Wednesdays. So if you like this episode, make sure to like and subscribe so you're going to get the latest releases as they become available. And remember, you've been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. A final word from Paul is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 
2 verse 4, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and a power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God bless you. Until next time, amen.